0: Welcome to That Greaves and Rooney Sports Podcast. I'm Dan Greaves. I'm Martin Rooney. And today we've got a slightly different podcast um, we've got on our show, Danny Talbot. Yeah,
1: uh, Danny Talbot, he is uh, one of Britain's best ever 200 metre runners. Um, Picked up medals at Europeans, picked up medals uh, at the World Champs, World Champ Gold, Commonwealths. I think he's got a medal maybe. I don't know, it just seems to be someone who's been around for... I still look at him as a... 22 23 year old athlete he's 29 now and um, someone who's been one of the best sprinters in the country for the last couple of years so it's really great to get him on um, to get his input on some stuff
0: uh, we talked about a bit about palace which is always good yeah um, and it's just such a nice likeable lad as well it's great to kind of get the sight uh, of Uh, A top little athlete but also like the face behind the sprinter and someone who gives it all all in competition but how his personality traits differ which I think is a is a great finding. Right let's get to it.
2: Rooney now kicks away. Commonwealth champion for Discus Dan. Rooney gets the gold. Medal at the last four Paralympic Games. Martin Rooney ran a great race
1: in lane one. Great character.
2: Well done Dan Graves.
1: We uh, Dan Greaves, we are joined by um, probably one of the most beautiful men in British Athletics. <laughs> Sprinting royalty. Sprinting royalty. we got Danny Talbot with us. Hello. Hello, Danny.
2: Hello, how are you guys? How's it
1: going? Yeah, good mate, how are you? We were saying um, you've got a big week of training ahead of you.
2: Yes, hopefully. Um, I think I'm going to be doing a time trial at some point this week or next week, so... Um, yeah just kind of gearing up for that trying to get a little bit of competitive action in even if it's just on my own and um, yeah hopefully just get ready for if we get to have a season later in the year
1: yeah so how have you found uh being back in the uk obviously you've moved coach you've moved to uh, vince anderson in texas how are you finding being back in the uk training on on your own and-
2: um it's, it's okay like i obviously miss being with the group and uh, miss being miss having that daily contact with with my coach and obviously Mr. the weather it's um over 30 degrees every day there at the moment but um yeah no it's, it's been okay I think it was for me it was I felt it was really important for me to come home my, my girlfriend's a nurse and she, she I mean through my injury she was there every day for me and I just felt it was important for me to, to be there for her with everything that's going on in the world so um yeah, I kind of made the decision to come home and, and try and support her as best I can. And to be honest, I found lockdown OK. Training's obviously, it's not been ideal because we haven't been able to, to have a track until fairly recently. But um, to be honest, it's been fairly relaxing knowing that there's no stress of, of racing coming up and I can just catch up on, on some of the training I've missed over the last few years with, with no real pressure or stress.
0: You know, um, you just alluded to the injury there, like what actually happened? Was it an Achilles injury?
2: Um, no, so I basically had a, a, a lot of, I don't even really know how to describe it, but the FHL tendon was um, basically got debrided in, in my surgery. So there's just a buildup on the FHL tendon, which ultimately led to kind of a, about three or four weeks after after the world championships in London and, um, I was on holiday and I literally just couldn't even walk without without being in that agonising pain. So um, yes. I was very lucky to to be able to get through London really, and then fortunate that happened afterwards. But um, yeah, so I had a debridement on on my FHL tendon, and then was kind of rehabbing that through the winter. And then there's just a few complications in the rehab, which which led to a second surgery and a debridement on the other side of my ankle. And then they kind of shaved the bone down a little bit within the ankle as well.
1: The FHL is the one that goes from behind the big toe right up into your calf, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Pretty nasty. Their knowledge.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've torn it wow. before, so I know it. <laughs> so do you reckon um, having a delayed Olympics is kind of a blessing coming back from an injury like that? Um, and just giving you a bit more time to prep?
2: Yeah, for me, definitely. It's... um. It's a, it's a hard one to describe because obviously everything that's going on in the world, I'd rather everyone was healthy and and just everyone's safe. But yeah. from a personal point of view, in terms of my athletics, it's, I think it's been a massive benefit for me. Um, I feel like I was getting into really good shape before the lockdown came in. But um, I mean, it's always, I think it's always beneficial when you have more time with a new coach. And I mean, I've only done one winter with him, so I'll get a whole nother winter and being able to compete out in America next season as well. And yeah, I think, it, I think it should benefit me quite quite well, and I think even this season, if we get to do races in August or September, even having just two or three low-key meets where there's no pressure on me, the times don't really matter, and I just get into the routine of travelling, going to the airport again, going through the call room system again, all of that I think is, um, yeah, it should just hopefully stand me in good stead for the next season.
1: I was going to talk to us about Vince Anderson? Like, obviously uh, a lot of Athletics sprinters would probably know who he is, um, but a lot of people won't know about him, like who he's coached and at what level, like he's he's been around at.
2: Yeah, so he's always a coach that I've always thought is is obviously top quality coach. But for me, I, I was never going to move to to a college coach, um, just because their priority is is their university team. Mm-hmm. So he he was at Texas A&M for. For like the last 15, 16 seasons, I think. Yeah. And um, it just, I mean, I'm always someone that kind of thinks everything happens at the right time, and you should just go off your gut feeling. And I think I was, I was ready to make a change. And I've always admired him, and it just seemed to work out perfect timing that he no longer works for Texas a and 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 he's got, um, he's got a professional group out there. So that's kind of how the reasoning I went there at the time I did. But yeah, I mean, he's coached, he's coached numerous sprinters hurdlers 400 meter runners all over all over the years um i mean he was at tennessee university he had leonard scott and justin gatlin Mm um moved to texas a&m he's had jessica beard phyllis francis um phyllis francis actually is a professional not a collegiate athlete but yeah he he helped coach um aries Merritt. um so yeah he's he's um He's kind of renowned in this in the sprinting world probably not so much in the uk just because he spent most of his time in in the collegiate system but yeah he's also what people might not know as well which a lot of uk coaches will be using is is the wickets he was the one who actually kind of introduced the wickets and the acceleration ladder so um that's kind of like his baby and what he what he loves and what he works through so um yeah it's kind of a little little background to him
1: he's um i've raced a lot of his athletes over the years obviously Texas A&M is a, has always been a powerhouse of 400s. You um, can think of people like Tabiri Henry and Pinder and guys like that who are just... I used to race every bloody week. But um, he's always... I, to be honest, I only really got to speak to him or meet him the last couple of years, and he's always been quite a nice man. Like, is he like that as a coach? What is he like as a... Is he uh, a stern kind of guy? Like, uh, Obviously, Benke was your previous coach. How would you compare to him?
2: Be- they're very, very similar. Um, yeah... My current coach, Vince, he's very, he's very very kind. He's very much about athlete first and he has a whole holistic approach and he wants us to enjoy the training, be happy with the training. But then you'll get a side to him and he's suddenly, he's very, very stern and strict at certain points. I remember quite early on, one of the first few sessions, um, we had a tempo session and I thought I was running quite smoothly. I thought I was kind of doing all the mechanical points that he wanted me to do. And then at the end of the run, he came over to me and goes, no, I'm not happy with that that wasn't very good and just walked off and I was a bit like this is probably my second week in the group yeah. <laughs> so he was, he was going on. and then he kind of went off process what he wanted to say he came back and told me um but there was a little bit of a shock just to be said right this is this isn't very good we've got to work on something else and it was very stern but um I appreciate that I mean I like just trying to improve going every day and do the best I can and I enjoy the fact that he can just come over to me say right this isn't good this is what we want to work on um and does it in a very straightforward way but not and it's not rude at all it's not kind of demeaning or putting you down it's just mm-hmm. the way he is is quite stern when he's trying to get a point across but um yeah i'd say he's, he's very kind and he's very kind of he, he really cares about his athletes and is really athlete athlete led i
1: think i think that's key isn't it like um especially for the british athlete to move out to go abroad you don't want to go to a coach who's going to make you feel like shit every day and then it's kind of like <laughs> Yeah, you might get results, but you're in a, a negative place, so it's a, it's a skill that um, he's obviously developed, and um, obviously, hopefully, it works out for you. Are you yeah. Do you like Texas?
2: Yeah, I, I, I really like Texas. Um, I think where I am is, it's not too dissimilar to, to being in Loughborough. It's very, I mean, all they care about there is Texas A&M football, Um the, I think there's only about 30,000 residents actually in College Station, there's an adjacent town called Bryan which they kind of count as one place and even if you add up that one there's only 60,000 people. Um, so like the majority of the College Station residents are actually students so um, yeah it's a nice kind of student feel to it, it's it's pretty relaxed, um, there's not too much happening there, you can, a little bit like Loughborough as well, you can kind of get everywhere you need to within 10 minutes so... Um, yeah, I, I personally really like it. Obviously, the weather's great, and I don't know. You always you always kind of hear about that kind of Texas hospitality, and you you really notice it. Whether it's just because I'm British, and I mean the Americans, everything you kind of hear about Americans loving Brit like the Brits, from my experience, that's that's very apparent. Whenever I go into a supermarket or a restaurant and I order something or I'm paying for whatever, and they hear my accent, they absolutely love it, and they they just want to uh, talk to you about the UK. Although a lot of them just assume. I'm from London, and I can't really be able to explain that I'm actually from Traybridge. Um But no, everyone's everyone's pretty pretty cool there.
0: You have dinner with the Queen, right? <laughs> what is that? Sorry, <laughs> you have dinner with the Queen, right?
2: Yeah, they they all literally every everything they you hear about what they love about Britain is so true. Like they love the royal family, absolutely love them, and yeah. everything's London and the Queen. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny to hear it.
0: And have you have you sourced any great rib or barbecue places?
2: So yeah, where I am, it's either Tex-Mex food, so the Mexican food is incredible, and barbecue food. So that's the if you're going to go out to eat, they are the two sorts of cuisines that you would
0: you would choose. I, can me- I can remember competing in Dallas, and uh, we John Godina, my old coach, took us to this uh, barbecue grill place, and forever in my memory, it's, it's like the meat just fell off the bone. Oh man. So so good. <laughs> Eating in America. How's your belly?
2: <laughs> you know what? So this is this was a bit mad. So speaking of my belly, the day one of being there, I had some sort of um, stomach ulcer. All
1: right.
2: My so I, I was I was there. I was thinking, right, I can't wait to to get to training. Really excited. Got my new coach. Got my new group. And then I had a stomach ulcer. My stomach was bleeding from the inside. I had to spend like the first four or five days going back and forth to this hospital um, which was right by the track I was thinking oh my god what, what is what's happening like I want to make a good impression and I'm doing it <laughs> and then I'm immediately doing a stride and I'm curled over on the floor and I'm thinking oh my god he's going to think I don't even know what my new coach is thinking yeah. but I'm not going to be happy with this
1: <laughs> I suppose that's kind of uh, not the impression you made one is a mate but you've got on with it um, you're still out there he seems to like you <laughs> you're a likeable guy Danny, you're well liked within the British team, um, but there's a dark side to you Danny Talbot <laughs> and I've, I've, I've witnessed it, I don't think people have, you've got a bit of OCD.
2: Would you, would you say that's a dark side though? I would say that's beneficial for whoever I'm sharing a room with, For being within the relay team I'm very on point, I know where everything's going to be, I know what time I need to be in places, I wouldn't call that a dark side.
1: I think it's just your reaction to what happens if something
0: alters your maybe moves your shoes around in the room or something like that
2: yeah i don't like that i don't appreciate that but um
0: <laughs> what is it to do it's not like a tap dripping you have to stop it or uh, anything like that is it No,
2: it's more whatever i'm in control of i like it to be in a certain way so <laughs> if i'm sharing a room with someone i don't care what their side of the room is like because that's not mine
0: yeah.
2: but my side of the room bed needs to be exactly right my shoes need to be lined up my clothes are kind of usually they're kind of in color order or the order i'm gonna wear them and so if if i've got a roommate whatever they want to do they can do Mm. but in my mind there's an imaginary line my stuff won't cross that line (laughs) and if their stuff crosses the line i kind of without saying anything just gradually move it back
1: (laughs) i remember orlando um i was taking a tour of your place that you guys were staying and you posi harry and all those guys and uh i'd heard you had ocd so i moved one of your shoes i think i swapped them like left to right right to left basically and the aggression in the text that came my way i was like all right danny (laughs) This is the, the Danny Talbot, the Palace fan, came out. The, <laughs> the, the football fan. Uh, football hooligan.
2: That, that is obviously the side you need to be a, a sprinter as well. So, um, again, I, think, I wouldn't count it as a dark side, Rooney. Really. I think it's it's beneficial for, for myself and my teammates. Yes, it definitely
0: is. All athletes have got that inner psycho, haven't they? Somewhere that they tap into for race day or comp day.
2: It's... Or just lining your shoes up. Yeah, just lining your <laughs> shoes up. But Let's like, talk interesting.
0: about you. Sorry, go on. Now, I was just going to say, what what happens if um, there's like a curveball thrown out there and you're waiting for the bus and it's like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes late and it completely screws your schedule up? How do you deal with that?
2: I, I, I tend to get the earlier bus. There's actually um, oh, right. a time <laughs> in my first senior championship was in Helsinki 2012 and I got to the track. I, I didn't even tell anyone I was getting the earlier bus. This is how kind of like inexperienced I was. I thought I could just get to the track whenever I wanted, like it was the trials. And um, I got a phone call from from Tony Lester, who was the relay coach at the time, and he was looking after me, and I picked up my phone. I'm like, oh, you're right, Tony, how are you? Like, yeah, and down by the track, he's like, why are you there? I was like, well, I'm racing to He's like, yeah, yeah, but you're, you're meant to be here right now doing kit check. And I was like, well, I've got all my kit. He's like, no, but we have to go through the processes. Why did you go early? I was thinking, well, I, did, I really didn't want to be late. This is my first championships. And so, yeah, I kind of learned then that you have to really tell everyone your schedule it's not okay to just have it written
0: down yeah. in your room and
2: just...
0: <laughs>
1: off your pop <laughs> off your pop you talked about um being a good teammate for your like in your relay um should we talk about world champs london 2017
2: erin if you guys want to talk about it um... well, of
1: course i do danny <laughs> <laughs> talbot world champion 2017 20- london 2017 um <laughs> I've got to say, that's probably one of the best relay runs I've ever seen around the top bend. I don't know about you, Dan. That's probably the same. Like I can't think of anybody else. Maybe Johan Blake and yourself probably. I, I, I don't know what the time was like, but as a as a run around that top bend, the, the, the gap that you made, I think, that was made in that bend was what made kind of won the relay. Um, I felt like, um, obviously, as a squad, you did amazingly well. But can you talk to us about how it felt going around that, Ben? Like, what did you feel like with all the problems that you'd had going into it and the championships you'd had? Like, how did it go for you?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, it's probably important to start with the with the 200. I mean, I kind of... I learnt a lot just from the, the two days I raced in the 200 just before the relay. Um, I came off the heat, I ran a personal best and it's the easiest run I've ever had. Yeah, um, Ran 20.16 and... I, I felt like I switched it off about 50 metres before the line. So I came off the track thinking I'm going to become the world champion in 200 metres. There's no doubt in my mind that was going to happen for about yeah. half an hour. And then, then my inexperience of ever being in that situation um, really kind of came through because every single season you go into a championship thinking, right, I want to win it, I want to win a medal, I want to do the best I can. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the first time where I actually thought this is going to happen. So all the years before was kind of like, Oh yeah, I think I can compete with anyone in the world, but subconsciously without knowing it, I think looking back now, I kind of always knew and also I was racing Usain Bolt is near enough in his prime. So I think there's always a part of you kind of like, yeah, I'm on this start line. I don't think, I think I can perform to the best of my ability and Mm -hmm. I like to think I can win any race, but there's always that little bit where it's like, okay, only one person can win this race and I'm against the, the best athlete of all time. Whereas I came off the track in London and I think it kind of hit me and I wasn't prepared for actually thinking, wow, I can win this. Um, and I went to bed that night and I didn't sleep at all. Um, and then that was that was it from that moment of not sleeping, especially being someone that likes everything to be perfect. Everything kind of changed from that point And it's the best and worst thing that I think that's ever happened to me because I'm now prepared for that. I think that's something that pretty much every athlete has to has to go through. Um, I mean, even Bolt in two thousand and seven didn't win; he needed that kind of silver medal behind Tyson Gay, and then he came out, and the the rest is history. But it just it was hard that that was actually in London when obviously everything the whole build-up for the whole season is a home world championships and you're in the best shape of your life. And it was such a competitive field. I think my time in the heat was actually still the fifth fastest of the whole championships. Um, so it was, it was kind of difficult to take not making the final mm-hmm. and being so close as well. I think I came fifth in my semi-final, but I was kind of ninth overall as well. So I was pretty close to the final. But um, yeah, I kind of then took that immediately into the relay and i think all year i don't know when i think you guys might have had it as athletes when you just kind of know things are aligning in the right way and i kind of i kind of knew that in february um of that year i just said we're going to win this relay and there was zero doubt in my mind through the whole season even when we came second in the heat to uh, to the usa um, everything in my mind was aligning to this point where we're going to win in the in the home world championships. Um, there was I don't know it just everything just felt right and it's probably the fastest I've done a bend, um, but also it's the easiest I've, I've I've run around the bend as well. And passing to Neffe he was against Christian Coleman, one of the the best sprinters in the world, and there was no doubt he, in my mind he was going to win. Um, Adam against Gatlin, I felt. Catelyn had just won the 100 meters at, at the World Championships, but again, I had so much confidence that Adam was gonna was gonna deliver, and he's one of the best competitors I've ever I've ever come up against. And then CJ's first leg just set set everything up for us. So um, yeah, it was it was an incredible feeling, but it was kind of I don't know. Although I the best the best part about it for me was although I, f- I felt like we were gonna win it cro- when Nethanil crossed the line, it was. What made me the happiest was it wasn't relief that we'd won. I think we were probably the only four people in the whole stadium, including our parents and our friends and relay coaches, everyone that thought we were going to win. But, um, but it wasn't relief. It was actual happiness and joy that, that we've done it and we knew we could do it. And then to actually deliver was great.
0: Yeah. I think like it'd be really interesting like to hear from yourself like the build-up to that to getting the perfect relay like how how long has it taken to get to that point um because obviously like people have watched that and gone oh my that's amazing our world champions like just just give us a little bit of information about how often you train with the relay team and the kind of bond that you've formed over the years i just think it'd be really interesting to know
2: i think for this current group um it all kind of started in 2016 um probably We had, well, 2015 wasn't a good year for for the relay sport. Um, I mean, Rooney was in Beijing and it's pretty well documented that um, we didn't really get on and there was a lot of tension. And that was, I don't think it's even that people disliked each other. There was just a massive misunderstanding of people's personalities and a big clash. Mm -hmm. And it's thanks to the work that, that Jen Savage, our sports psychologist, did to help us understand each other. and. I mean, doing silly little team building exercises and, and stuff like this actually had a massive a massive impact on us because we'd spend time with each other. We'd realise we're all similar and we all want the same things. We all want to be the best sprinters in the world individually. But we also recognise that people like Usain Bolt and Alison Phillips, the re- reason they're the most successful athletes is because they also come together in the relay and, and perform as a team. And yeah, I think it was kind of 2016 onwards where we'd have relay camps and um, home and abroad. Um, probably meet up two, three, four times a year before competitions and and all of that. But um for me I think it's all the all the work that we've done just to understand each other that that made the biggest difference because we actually started to run for each other. And um, I mean Rooney you're you're really good friends with James Edison like myself and what happened to him was, was heartbreaking for all of us because he's been in the team for so long and especially for me I run the same leg as him. I do the same event as him and um, but even that like that brought us together because he's our boy everyone's getting on with each other we want to perform well for ourselves for each other for the athletes that aren't there and i think all that work just really um really came together in, in london thankfully
1: yeah one of the things well james always talked about you is like i think uh as someone that not only respected he got on with but he just said you were one hell of a competitor as well and I think that's something like um, he didn't really say about many people and maybe that was because of the team bonding that you guys did and you got on and you, you all understood your roles within that team like he understood he was a senior figure and um, I suppose he was kind of there mentoring as well like if, if you kind of what well, the next step on the bend was, was likely to be you coming there so he always had a, a, a lot of respect for what you could do and what you could to bring to a team um, and you beat him all at British Champs didn't you a couple of times
2: Yes. But so kind of going back to trying to be a good competitor, for me, there's only really two competitions I care truly about. Obviously, every race I go into, I want to perform the best I can, but I use them all as practice for the British Championships and then whatever the Championships are in the, in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the British Championships, for me, it's, it is it is the second most important race of the season. And I love trying to go to the, to the British Championships and perform well because... I, know, I, I like to build the pressure up as well and I'm not one of these people that like it to be oh it's just another race. Um, yeah. Yeah. If I go to the Olympic Games or World Championships I want to feel it's the Olympic Games and World Championships. I like that feeling of almost being scared
0: <laughs> because yeah.
2: for me that's what, that's what drives me. I love going to the British Championships and knowing it's the top two here or my season's over and obviously my season's not over but in my mind I want to go to these championships i want to be competitive in the 200 meters and one of the best 200 meter runners in the world mm-hmm. and it all starts with the trials and um, so yeah i kind of i always the first thing i do is pencil in the trials into my into my training diary into my race schedule and then work to the to the championships and work back from that and all the other races i do is just practicing for for the trials so um yeah, thankfully For me, it seems to have worked. My best performances have tended to be at the trials and then the championships later in the summer. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I kind of get to my competitive mindset. I think. Uh, how so many times have you won British champs? I've I've won it. Uh, I've only won it once.
1: Oh, okay. But you've always placed, haven't you?
2: Yeah, I think other than the first time I ever did it when I was a junior, I think I came eighth, and then from two thousand and fourteen, I won that, and then. 2015, 2016, 2017, um, I came second all three of those years. But again, for me, like it's, when it comes to the British Championships, as, as nice as it is to win it, but second for me is exactly the same. It's, it's yeah. going there to, to do the job I need to, to to get to the Championships, really. So I've kind of seen my second places as also winning because that's what's allowing my season to continue, if that makes sense.
0: It's refreshing to hear because there's quite a few athletes that kind of me and Rooney alluded to this on another pod, where you know if you've got a couple of major champs later on in the year, people kind of dismiss the British champs as like their their aim and that's their you know ticket to go to. They they generally focus on the big show rather than like getting there. So it's really nice to hear that. Obviously, that's your kind of starting point towards the big champs later on.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think um, for me. It's all about like I, I wanna I wanna win every race I go to. I wanna go to the Olympic Games next year and win. But at the same time, the journey to do that is is what's is what's great. It's what um it's what drives me. I wouldn't get up every day and train as hard as I can if I didn't enjoy it. And the British Championships is a part of that journey, and it's a major part of the journey because if you don't perform there, unless you're in a in a weekend event where only one person's going to qualify anyway but in 200, you have to be on it. Um, Same as the 100, the 400, the women's long jump, the 800 for men and women, like the list goes on in certain events, but you have to, if you don't get it right there, then your season's over effectively. Um, So, yeah, it is important for me to to really execute there and to put on the best performance I can.
0: Nice. I think... um... One thing is, uh, why did you give up long jump in 2006? <laughs> <laughs> I did uh, did a little bit of research, five meters, 12.
2: I wouldn't, say I, I wouldn't say I gave it up. I don't think I started. That was, um, I assume that was a young athletes league and I probably got drafted in.
0: Um, <laughs> Most probably.
2: <laughs> and I think, I, I'm pretty sure that's the only time I've ever done long jump. Um, it is, yeah. <laughs> in school, my, my teacher wanted me to do it and I didn't like it. I had to do javelin one time to get points as well. And I literally, I threw it and it hit the back of my head and it was <laughs> seven metres in front of me. Um,
0: did you, thought, did right, you do the helicopter?
2: Well, I just thought, I've got my points. I'm going I'm going get ready for my, my 100 metres probably. But um, yeah, no, long jump is, is not going to come back anytime soon. Any <laughs>
1: <laughs> do you ever, do you get pissed off when people say, oh, you should be doing a different event or anything like that?
2: Um, well, I kind of always had I should be a four hundred meter runner, but um, I mean I, I think I will do it eventually. But for me, I, I love the two hundred, and
1: you're a world class two hundred meter runner.
2: Yeah, and I, I also enjoy it. I think even if I wasn't a world class two hundred meter runner, I actually really really enjoy the two hundred and the training for the two hundred, and um, that again for for me so important. Like I enjoy the hundred too, but the, maybe it's just going better at the two hundred, but yeah for me the 200 is my event and until I feel like I've got as much out of that as I can then yeah I won't I won't be looking for the 400.
1: But what about if I asked you to go second leg someday would you do it?
2: Yeah because then I can still be a 200 meter runner. (laughs) Yeah
1: there you go you're in done. (laughs) Talk to me about uh, your relationship with uh, other 200 meter runners Uh, you seem to have a very good relationship there's a great photo of you and Wade together uh from London. Um is it just respect or is it something you get on with or what?
2: Um no I, I respect I respect all of my competitors. But um I mean the with Wade, I've known Wade since 2010. We went to the to World Juniors together and for some reason my generation of, of sprinters have always seemed to get on well with the, the South African boys of, of the same age. Um like I know, CJ and Job are, are good friends. Um Zimbini's pretty close with, with all of us as well. So I don't know what it is, but we've always tended to get on well with with them anyway. But yeah, I mean some of my well, one of my closest friends from the sport is Adam, and obviously he's also one of the, my biggest rivals and, and James as well. They're probably two of the people I've raced more times than anyone else. Um but I think i I can just I'm I'm pretty good at just separating when I need to dislike them and that's as soon as I get to a competition and I'm warming up um like I don't have any friends at that point other than my coach um I mean even my family I'm not gonna I don't even think about as soon as I get to the track for a competition I don't even think about speaking to my family until the warm up or the warm down's done so um yeah I think I'm just for me I just I judge people on who they are rather than what event they're going to be in or if they're competitive to me like I if, I, if you're a nice person and I get on with you, then you're my friend up until I'm about to race you. And then I hate you probably more than anyone else <laughs> in the world. But then as soon as the race is done, we're cool.
1: Is that something you've had to develop or is that just uh, what's natural to you?
2: I think that just is what feels natural to me. I think if I look at like my favourite, I guess it's probably developed based on who my favourite athletes are and who I look up to in sports and I mean, for, for me, you've got Michael Jordan, and Russell Westbrook, and they're my they're my favourite athletes um, across all sports. Tiger Woods as well, probably. But I've probably learned from them over the years through watching them. But, yeah, for me, if I I don't need to be friends with someone for 20 seconds of my life because yeah. I want to beat them so badly in that race, and then I know I'm going to be friends with them afterwards anyway. So yeah, I think that was all kind of always kind of a natural thing for me
1: you just mentioned basketball. I forgot that you are a huge basketball head. That's your thing. Yeah. Um, being in the states has that made it like more intensified. You're like Russell Westbrook's your guy. I tend to send you any abuse I see online of him and <laughs> <laughs> join in sometimes. But <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> no, that. it's, yeah, it's really nice. Unfortunately, though, um, Texas A&M weren't very good and they haven't yeah. been good for a while. So. I was hoping they be quite good and I could actually go in and watch some of the NCAA stuff. But um, yeah, no, obviously it's great for me to go out there and, and be able to just watch basketball at a regular time and I don't have to worry about watching the highlights the next day. So yeah, that's another benefit of, of being out in Texas.
1: Basketball or Palace?
2: Palace every day of the week.
1: Man. <laughs> Are you looking forward uh, to seeing Villa get relegated?
2: Uh, <laughs> outside of Palace, I'm I've kind of lost I've I've lost my way in football. But yeah. I would choose a Palace game over any basketball game every day of the week. Is that uh, like how does
0: a, a guy from Tunbridge support Palace? Traybridge. Traybridge,
2: sorry. It's all right. I'll, I'll, yeah. Sorry, uh, no. Basically, my parents, my parents uh, my mum's from South London, and then my dad moved to to South London like when he was about 18, um, and he literally lived opposite. Celeste Park for a little bit, and then just got into it from there. Um, and then, as soon as I was born, opened my eyes. My bedroom's red and blue, so I didn't really have much choice. <laughs> it's in the blue. Thank- thankfully, I didn't have much choice because they're obviously one of the greatest, greatest clubs in world football.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trophy cabinets full. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. We're we'll a league team now. It's fine. It's all right. We're- as Villa fans only live in the past, anyway, so it's all right. <laughs> Do you think Villa are going to stay up, Danny? Hopefully.
1: Oh, um, well, me? Oh, Danny. I too. Yeah. Well, I know you. Hopefully, but
2: I, 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 really, I don't know. I haven't really seen the table for a while. I just know that Palace are safe, and I'm happy with that. But I guess Villa, there's a pretty good chance they'll go down. Dan, is that correct?
0: Oh mm. yeah. Well, I feel anything. I feel that Corona's kind of saved our grace because all the. Good players that we had, like McGinn and Wesley, and stuff that were injured, are now able to, I think, be on the pitch. And yeah, and it's almost like a fresh start as well. I think this time, with us being a bottom three and having a game in hand, we've got to win. And it's almost like their season's restarting again. So hopefully, the boys have gone all the way and worked hard. And yeah, I don't know. It, <laughs> there's still a obviously it's, the percentage of us going down is higher, but yeah, I just hope that we can. And put some put some performances together. It's it's just going to be weird for them, isn't it? Like an empty stadium. I know that Villa have requested all Villa fans to send in flags and all sorts of stuff. So they're going to put like crowd noise through the PA system and and whatnot. But it's just yeah, it's going to be really surreal. I think for them to to, to try and perform and save a you know save a season, almost feeling like it's a training game.
2: Yeah, it's it's a strange one, isn't it?
1: I think uh, Villa are in a similar position to you, Danny, in the sense that, like, well, they bought like, well, however many players, and they've had to have. They need that extra time. Like you haven't needed the extra time, but you've got extra time now to kind of like get ready for the Olympics. They have a, had that extra time where they needed players to get used to playing together.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, hopefully, I think I think you yeah, actually. I always have a go at Dan. I'm just here to wind him up, really. But <laughs> I think yeah, I do think Villa will stay up. I think uh, I'd rather see them stay up than uh, than Brighton. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think um, we'd all like that. Dan, um, I don't want to get too heavy, but you said you said your, uh, your your partner, your Mrs. She's a nurse, uh, and how do you how has she been handling like the whole COVID and Corona and? Has she found it hard, or um,
2: it's it's not too it's not been too bad. She, um, she works on a trauma and orthopedic ward. So she gets like elective surgeries. So it's very, it's pretty safe on her, her ward. Um, because people are only going in if they really need the surgery. And then obviously everything's just as, as safe as it could, as it could be. Um, as soon as they step onto the ward, they've got to have their PPE on. Um, and yeah, I mean, she's, it's, it's nice that she's obviously got a friend she's working with as well, and I'm glad I'm here to, to support her. And, yeah, so far everything's, everything's been OK. So, um, yeah, hopefully it continues to be so.
1: Good, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good to hear. And uh, I've seen you actually been on social media again, only a little bit. Well, actually, <laughs> more than you've probably ever been in the last, like, whatever. But you're standing up for something that's important to you. Um, you're talking about racism and... Um, that's going on to see lots of stuff going on in the news at the moment and protests and, uh, um, what's your, obviously you come from a mixed background. Um, I don't want to get too deep and heavy into it, but like, I think, um, what do you feel that we could do within athletics to, um, improve like opportunities for all and fairness and, um, no social discrimination or anything like that? Is there anything that you...
2: Um, I think it's... For me, we're, we're in a fortunate sport where it is so diverse. Um, we go to a world championships and every country in the world can, can send athletes. So I think we're fortunate that we can we can see that doesn't matter what race you are, you're, you can be a role model to anyone. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for us to especially in the sprints it's the same for me as rap music it's the same for me as other sporting icons in predominantly black sporting sports and and music in general television uh, film it's important not to just celebrate and be kind of engulfed by black culture and then forget about black people Mm. Um, and I think that's that's been the bit, one of the, the biggest issues for me, and especially with media coverage. It's kind of, oh, we can celebrate. We can, the majority of people enjoy some sort of black culture, but then for me, aren't forthright enough in, it's a difficult one to, to explain, but not forthright enough in, in trying to actually stop racism happening. Um, mm-hmm. I think in sport, and in athletics, we're, we're just fortunate in a position that we can have some sort of influence. Um, I mean, we've got athletes in the team that have hundreds of thousands of followers, and we've got some athletes that just have a couple of hundred followers on social media, but everyone has some sort of following. And for me, it's not enough, like everyone's been saying, it, it's it's not enough to just put your hands up and say, you're not racist. You've got to be actively anti-racist. We've got a We've got to stop everything that, that, that's kind of happening in the world. And for us, the easiest way to do that is through social media um, and just put, put a different spin on, on things. And um, within the actual governance side of our sport and across all sports, I don't, I, I don't want to see things happen and then equality be celebrated. For me, equality should never be celebrated. It's not something that deserves any credit. It's something mm. to just happen. Yeah. It, sh- it shouldn't be a case of oh this sport has a certain amount of black people or Indian people or whoever on the board or working within the organization look how great we are. Yeah that isn't that isn't a thing to me. I mean I keep seeing on, on although it's good that it's now happening and everything that has happened in the last few weeks is creating a change and it's amazing but the whole point is being anti-racist, shouldn't be a debate like racism shouldn't yeah. be a debate yeah. you know? I don't understand how and even even to say like when people are like oh it's 2020 how are these things still happening they shouldn't have happened in 1620 do you know what I mean like it's, it's for me I just I'm just hoping that equality can be achieved but there's just such a long way to go with the systematic problems you have across the whole world it's not just obviously in America although that's highlighted the most at the moment and the, the the problems are kind of never-ending at the moment so um hopefully we can do we can do our bit in sport and it's something that like you said my, i'm from a, a mixed background my my mum is is half caribbean half british and my girlfriend's east african um so i i feel really passionate about it and hopefully we can um as athletes and sports people can actually help to to make a change yeah
0: definitely
1: like that I, I think you you hitting the head it shouldn't it shouldn't be an issue it shouldn't be celebrated it should just be standard like this is yeah. just normal life for everyone um, should be treated as humans and
0: it shouldn't be a second star. thought it shouldn't be a second mm. thought should it you know um whether it's roles given at the top of a business or whether it's employment or just everyday it should be um you know race shouldn't even come, come into it it should be the person themselves
2: Yeah, it should be. I think for me, though, there's just two. The two biggest problems in my mind is media portrayal of of certain events um, and the second one being just the complete lack of education that we have in Mm. our country and across the world. I mean, I think it was, I can't even really remember when. I think it was probably 2012. I I read about the Tulsa race massacre in 1921 Mm -hmm. and no one knows that happened I didn't know I never got told that happened I I can't even remember how I came across it but it just suddenly I started reading about it and I thought oh my god how do I not know about this yeah there's, there's probably millions of people in America that don't know that happened so if they don't know that happened in America and for anyone that doesn't really know about it like it's something again if you want to educate yourself it's something to that's that should be looked into but like if people in America don't know that, then how is someone like myself in the southwest of England in a complete, I went to, my school was 95% white people. They're just never, ever going to teach that. So um, for me, it's kind of what's being portrayed in the media, how the media are going to cover this and also just education from from the start. Because I think we're, we're kind of, if I, if I look back to my, my school friends, who I'm still really good friends with, we're all the same people and none of us know about this so Mm. it's difficult to then try and learn about it because none of you have any idea and you kind of learn off each other and your values and who you are is shaped so much in school that that's where people need to to really start educating but then we've got an issue with probably the teachers they even know how to educate them because they need educating themselves so um, it's a whole thing that's going to take generations to really change but I think the changes that have happened in, even in the last week or so um it's i think it, it's been great and it obviously needs to to carry forward and the momentum needs to carry on
1: brilliant i think uh Telsa, that's something that i learned about only from watching watchmen um the tv series and then i did a bit of research and you see like because uh, a street in somewhere in america telsa wherever it was and it was just like uh, a lot of black businesses that are very successful, and then the white people didn't like it, and they just went around murdering everybody, didn't they? And yeah. lynching and destroying all these businesses, and it's uh, so recent uh, in history, and um, it was crazy to think like um, that. It, like it's not not that long ago, really, when you think about it. And um, the education is massive. I think the curriculum needs to change in the UK. Um, it's something that we've, I think, we're addressing with our kids and stuff like. Is uh, um my wife's she's a south african so a lot of the books that we have will have uh, a lot of brown people in it and stuff and black people in it and it's just kind of um not really something we've had to change but it still definitely thinks something we've had to change at home um, mm-hmm. not change at home but like you start thinking about it um i'm white irish so something maybe that um it's not something we've had to do as ourselves as kids but now passing it on to the next generation it's important that they learn that um a human is a human. So I'm getting attacked by my dog. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that was pretty heavy. But um, is there anything you'd like to? Uh, how old are you now? 28? Just
2: just turned twenty nine. Oh, you're yeah. getting old.
1: I'm like <laughs> I still think of you as like twenty two year old kid uh, <laughs> on the team. So um, have you got any advice? <laughs> Forever. Like. A very simple piece of advice that you'd pass on to any young athlete that you wish you'd have heard when you were a young athlete.
2: Um, yeah, definitely. It's to this whole thing about trust the process and all the rest of it is is great, but you can't just trust the process. You have to engulf yourself into the process. It's it's not. Don't just don't live by hashtags and social media and what you think people want to see. Just for me just work hard enjoy the journey that you're on um you don't know what it's going to bring you but if you the the best thing in sport is is the journey that it it gives you and if you enjoy it truly if you don't just trust the process but actually engulf yourself in it participate in the process every single day try and be as mindful as you can and in the moment and enjoy if you're a golfer enjoy each swing enjoy each putt enjoy every shot if you're a football player enjoy going into a hard tackle enjoy every every part of it and if you focus on one step at a time um and really like I said just engulf yourself in that process and enjoy that process enjoy that journey then um you're likely to to have a great career um obviously all relative to to what you set out to do um there's no right or wrong thing there's no it's not right like for me i think i want to be the best athlete in the world that's not right or wrong to think that if you want to compete for great britain that that's not right or wrong whatever your aim is 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 great and just enjoy actually trying to achieve that aim
1: that's pretty solid isn't it
2: it's powerful
1: some wisdom from danny talbot
0: <laughs> i feel inspired now jeez <laughs>
1: Brilliant. Um, I think, Danny, I think we've touched quite a lot of stuff here. I don't think we can. We we didn't even talk about you winning a European medal.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It glazed over. It. That's all right.
1: European 2016 was it silver or bronze? Bronze.
2: Uh, Bronze there, and bronze in Helsinki as well. Uh, Amsterdam. Uh, Amsterdam. Yeah, Yeah, Amsterdam Amsterdam, and Helsinki.
1: We all came away from med- with medals there, didn't we? Danny, you, Big Dan, you were there. You got a medal. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But that, I like, I loved Amsterdam. Even though it was, uh, uh, yeah, it was a completely different um, experience. It was, it was wicked to be with you guys.
2: Amsterdam yeah. was awesome. That's one of my favourite championships. The your 200 was yeah. hot
0: as well. Yeah, yeah, that was good. That was a, good that was a real
2: proper is that race where the, that
0: was. Um, your your boy, the Dutch boy, did he come? with the gold tooth. What's his face? Chirandi. So he
2: crossed the line first, but then he, he took, I don't know how many steps he took, but he went in the wrong lane a few
0: times. All yeah. so, um, oh, his-
1: right. See money. yeah. He came, he came off the bend or something when he was on the wrong lane and then transferred back in or something like that. Yeah. And so for Bruno won it. That's another one of your mates. Yeah,
2: but Chir- Chirandi won the 100, didn't he? So yeah, he got his cold money. Yeah, he was so fine. It's all bad.
1: You were... Uh, sorry i just remembered that you went training in barcelona for a bit as well so how'd that come about
2: that was fun again um so i've known i've known bruno hortolano since 2013 we went to um european under 23 championships together and again i think it probably all just came about from respect from each other but then we just kept seeing each other we kept racing each other either on the circuit or at um, European Championships World Championships Olympic Games and just got to know each other and um, and then this was I think I was just having some problems with with injury and I just thought yeah. well, I just want to get away get some nice weather so I um, sent him a message and he ended up sorting out uh, training in um, San Cugan, a nice little training centre nice weather he kind of looked after me there so um, yeah it kind of I guess it, it pays to have nice friends uh,
1: just just shows how nice a person you are Danny I think that's what we've I think most people would have known anyway but we've just amplified how a
0: popular person you
2: are I appreciate
0: (laughs) having you in high pack it's that cheeky smile it's a dangerous one
1: (laughs) I think uh, it's been a shame not having you in the high pack anymore but it's uh, obviously brilliant that you've gone to Texas and hopefully it uh, with Vince it works out I think he's someone that will get the most out of you as a 200 and potentially maybe even a 400 runner at some stage but i still think you can go and like i said win the olympics in the 200 so i'm excited for you boy
2: no yeah, i appreciate it thank you very much
0: danny top man yeah thanks a lot for your time danny it's been no, really thanks
2: interesting for me. thanks for having me it's been really good
0: yeah um we hope you really enjoyed that um It's really great insight into um, someone at the top of their game Um, thanks a lot for listening Um, if you could like and subscribe wherever you
1: get your podcasts from uh, you can follow us at Disco at Martin Rooney uh, on GRS podcast on Instagram just wherever you whatever social media just go have a look for it
0: brilliant thanks for listening again guys cheers guys